Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Ian. Ian, welcome to the show. This is your first time hosting with us. It is. It is and indeed. Ian, we're going to hear a little bit about who you are as a person, just hear a little bit about your role-playing experiences in the past. When we get to the meet, we're going to interview you like a guest, even though you're a host. But this is your first time, so we've got we've to gotta kind of drill you a little bit. So, But before we do that, we have some five-star reviews. So, Ian, would you like to take the first one? Yeah, uh, this one is done by MadCow72, and of course, it's five-star review. It says, Great Podcast. I've only listened to a few podcasts, but I am just getting back into role-playing games after a 25-year absence. I look forward to potentially expanding back into a GM role, and this show is giving me some great ideas. Well, thanks, MadCow72. We really appreciate the Thank review. you so much. Our next one comes from Logrim and is entitled Great RPG Podcast. I love to listen to the Dungeon Master's Block while I'm painting minis or prepping a campaign. Good information, knowledgeable hosts, and great production value. Thank you so much, Logram. Yeah, we thank appreciate you. that. And it's an awesome name. That is an awesome name. And let's head to, with that, the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flight meat back on the menu, boys. Well, welcome to this week's meet. As I stated before, we have a new host with us for the Dungeon Master block, Dungeon Master Ian. And so I think the first thing to do, and it's funny because uh, we didn't do this with Chris and myself. It just kind of was like, hey, here we are. This is who we are. And people <laughs> got to learn about us over time. But let's let's treat this very moment as if you're a guest. Sounds you're good. not. <laughs> but <laughs> let's treat this moment like you are and we're going to ask you some interview questions just yeah. like we do with other guests. So, Sounds good. Um, number one, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are about yourself? Yeah, uh, I am a student at the school that we all went to and, and this is my final year. Uh, and, you know, I got connected with you guys through some various events and things like that and uh, have recently started playing with you. You know, it's been a good experience for me. Um, as far as who I am, uh, I don't know, I'm a nerd, I guess, is, is a good way to describe it, uh, much like I, I'm sure all the other blockheads are. Uh, um, but, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, you know, I've got I've got school, family, and, and all that kind of stuff, just like any normal human being. Yeah, it's kind of funny, because yeah. you and me have talked about this, that the reason we've connected so much is because you are at a different state in life. You say, I'm, I'm a college student, but you're further along in life, you're older than mm, most yep, college students yep. are at this point, and you're a father, you're a husband, uh, and and so uh, me and Chris have been out for of college for a while. And so you met with us and you're like, you guys play Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, let, yeah that was Let fun. me play with you. That was basically how we, we met. And yeah. now we've become friends and we hang out a lot. And here you are. Yep. Um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about like, how did you first get started in role-playing? Like, what age were you? Yeah. What brought you to the table? Well, I was born in the late 80s, and I didn't actually get exposed to D&D until AD&D was a thing. And that was an after-school program, you know? And so that was how I got my start. And when my mom found out I was playing much like, you know, any other 
child in the 90s. That's <laughs> of the devil. Stop playing that. And so I, I had to take a break for a while. We moved to California when I was probably, or back to California. I'm originally from there. I uh, moved back there when I was in, in middle school. And it was in middle school and, and then later in high school that I got into 3.5. It had just come out around that time and uh, I fell in love with it. And I actually played for a number of years with a, with a pretty consistent group of players. We had anywhere between, you know, six and 10 regular players, uh, not all playing at once, of course, but I got really into 3.5. And that's kind of where I, I, I did a majority of my gaming experience. And much like you, I, I love the wizard. Like there's, yes. uh, there's just something about <laughs> as much as I love paladins and as much as I play paladins, I, I love, I love the wizard. Like there's, there's nothing better, man. Uh, and for those of you who uh, think that Ian and me are going to be the same exact person giving the same exact advice, I think we might be a little different, uh, <laughs> which will be really good. I know like just from your sharing your stories, like you have come from like playing some of the old school versions. Yeah. I've never even gotten to play that. I yeah. started with 3.5. Now I love 3.5 too, but I've moved on to fifth edition. As and, have I, <laughs> and yeah, and you're getting to play for the first time tonight, tonight fifth edition. Yeah. So you're pretty excited. But um, so can you tell us what what was it that you started playing role playing games? Mm-hmm. What made you finally take that step to stepping behind the screen, becoming a DM? Was it like forced? Like a lot of people, it's forced. Like everybody's right. like, oh, we need a DM, or was it like you asked for that spot? What was it? It's funny because much like our group of gamers here in Michigan, out there, their group also rotated between two DMs, and they just got. Burned Burned out. I mean, they would run the same campaigns for a six month rotation because we met every week. And, you know, your typical high school or college student, you sit down for a weekend and you game for 36 hours straight. That's just what you do. And so they, they had just gotten burned out on DMing. And so one night somebody was somebody, and I think it was my, my buddy Preston was like, dude, you're a great storyteller. Like, you know, I've, I've read some of your short story work. I've read some of your writings and, and, and that kind of thing. You really need to sit down and, and do this. And the plan was for it to be a, a one-off campaign. And what ended up happening, you know, I sat down behind the DM screen. I'm like, I have the power, you know, I'm God <laughs> in this universe. What was good for me is that they DM'd in the same world. And so they already had a common mythos and I was just stepping into it, having played through several of these campaigns. Campaigns. I knew the world and we were just playing on an opposite side. And so I didn't have to do any world building, which was nice. But in doing that, the one off campaign turned into a nine month long campaign. Nice. To, <laughs> to just as my first experience as a DM. And then from there, we, we rotated between the three of us. So I got to DM a campaign every, you know, every year and a half, basically. Fantastic. That's awesome. All right. And with every guest, and like we said, you're not a guest, <laughs> but we still got to throw you under the bus a little bit. Right. Uh, we do have a surprise question for you. Sounds good. And this one comes from your one nightmare. And here is your, and this is a pretty nightmarish question. So, okay. Uh, so a revenant has risen up and taken you as its target. Who was it and why are they after you? <laughs> Who was it and why are they after me? Yeah, are you talking about it like as a character or as a person? Because I think he means like as a person. <laughs> so a revenant is coming after me as a person. What would I have done? <laughs> Which player did you piss I, off? I, in I the think past? I think it, it would be an it would be a player uh, whom I probably killed in a manner that was not necessarily nice. <laughs> We've all made mistakes. We've all made right? mistakes like that, right? And you know, he was making a balance check across a rope at a bottomless pit chasm, and he's a rogue, okay, and. <laughs> he critically fails the balance check, which means he falls. Okay. I allow him to make another check to see if he can catch the rope. He critically fails that check as well. And I'm like, bro, really? You're a rogue. You should, you should be able to make the balance check. Like, I don't understand. And I was like, sadly, you fall to your death. 
in this bottomless pit, like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And so I think that car- he was really mad at me <laughs> for that particular reason. Either that or it's the it's the story of these guys. I, I had them running through a campaign. It was a very easy module. Three parties of characters went through. All of them were killed by the Sturgis. Like this little quarter CR creature. And uh, they kept draining their constitution points until they had none left. And, you know, so by the time the fourth set of characters came through, they had a lot of loot there. They just took it all, all their stuff, killed the Sturgis finally. And so it might be those players too. I don't know. And there were, what, how many of those? There were like 12 of them. And okay, like- so I've got bad news for you. All of those players have risen up and they are coming after that, you right Then that's, that's, it's probably the so Sturgis. So let's, <laughs> let's get into the actual meat because once we're done, we're going to have to get you into witness protection program. Yes, absolutely. So this may be the last time that you're on this podcast. <laughs> no, uh, so here we are today. Ian, I kind of asked you like, what would be something you'd like to talk about for your first episode of the Dungeon Masters block? Yeah. And we settled on world building uh, and we, we windled it down to a specific that we'd like to talk a little bit about a government government system mm-hmm. specifically i think we wanted to start off with uh, what your classic fantasy world idea of government usually is the kingdom, the kingdom the monarchy so ian tell us a little bit about like just break it down what is a monarchy yeah a monarchy is actually a concept i'm pretty sure we're all familiar with and it's and there's a reason it's a fantasy trope yeah. because oh, yeah. everybody Total knows what it trope. is it's a very common government throughout history and whether it takes the form of an empire or whether it takes the form of, a, of an actual kingdom like england or an empire like rome it all boils down to the same basic elements and essentially what a monarchy boils down to is the monarch like there's no way to have a monarchy without a monarch and so as 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 far as governmental systems go a kingdom is a very easy thing to run because uh, everything boils down to one guy and as a dm that limits the scope of what you actually have to create because if everything's flowing out of this one monarch you don't have to worry about you know this thing over here this thing over here like with any other sort of government system it ends up being really streamlined because if the king says so it is so you yes. know what i mean and there's there's no like parliamentary system to work through or you know republic kind of voting system to work through it's just whatever whatever the king says goes and that allows you to really have a a fully fleshed out almost entity without really having to do much work which as a dm if you're creating a world it's it's really easy to insert that and just kind of have it be its own thing because everybody knows what a kingdom is and what a monarch is and so with that come a lot of different elements there's the there's the monarch and then you have to decide as a dm when you're world building if you've got a nation that you want to be under a monarchy well is it a monarch that has family because that that impacts yeah, a, a, a dynasty huge amount, like a that's succession. Yeah, built yeah. all off of like, well, this current king dies or says, well, my time is done, and thus who is king? Right, it's right. the next person in line. It's yeah. all based off the bloodline. Like that's yeah, yes, absolutely. And so you know you've got to you've got to decide whether your king is is a good king. Or whether your king is a bad king, and that kind of that kind of influence, or is your king neutral? Because yeah. I mean, some of the greatest kings that I think have existed are neutral kings because they they don't lean one way, you know, toward one one side or the other. They're more about the rule of the people. Um, is your king egalitarian, or is he is he tyrannical? Those all kind of go into the way that you build your world, or specifically, I guess this is a nation, I, uh, unless you have like a one world kingdom, which that would be. I, w- I would like to see something like that. But, you know, kingdoms allow you to do a lot of different things, especially with story hooks. Uh, yeah. And so, like, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about a, a lot of what you just said reminds me of one particular type of, 
monarchy. Now, there's there's numerous types of monarchies. There We're going to talk about four specifically yeah. and just kind of break down what those four are a little bit so that if you are building a kingdom, a monarchy in your world for a country, for uh, whatever it is, like these are these are four that you can look into and kind of base it off of. And like we said, there's many more. Yeah. So if, oh, you, yeah. if you don't, if you want to change it up, if you want to be different, go ahead and go look those up. We're just going to focus on four. So talking about kind of what you were talking about originally and with the whole it, whatever a king kind of says goes like that makes me think of the absolute monarchy yeah absolutely That's or right. uh, and and basically an absolute monarchy is a government in which the monarch has just what it says absolute power among his people or her people um, and they basically have no limitations no restrictions whatever they say goes whether good or right. whether bad and I think exactly. like I think an absolute monarchy really makes me think of when I'm thinking of world building that it's a huge like it's it's a problem with an absolute monarchy because like hey we got a good king cool absolute monarchy like he has he cares about the people but as soon as you get especially if it's a dynasty kind of family bloodline thing or even if somebody just takes over in an absolute monarchy as soon as you get somebody sitting on that throne wearing that crown and wielding that scepter that is Someone who's selfish, who cares only about himself, who cares about conquering and doesn't care who gets killed in the meantime, like an absolute monarchy is terrible because that that monarch, that evil monarch is reigning over the people with an iron fist and, well, that's how things are. nothing you can do about it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny because... We, we have this saying, and you know, I'm sure you've all heard it, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so you have these, what happens when the good king goes crazy? Yeah. Or what happens oh, when the good king goes man, bad? I didn't even think about so, that. So like, yeah. you know, you, you forget you, being a, a bad person. Just right. If they start to lose their mind in their old age. Right. And they start, but, and, and that could be humorous in a game because yes. they, this, this king starts to lose his mind and just starts passing these laws that are ridiculous. Like everyone must wear a red shirt on Tuesdays or right. something, something that really isn't. <laughs> bad but like once you start to see that slow crack in the system you're worried because then the next law might be if you eat an apple on a wednesday then you must be hanged like you're dead that's (laughs) no good at all well and then you know we talk about how the monarch is the central idea of of a monarchy and in them is invested kind of all the power of government so you have them both as the head of state, which is kind of like how we deal with the world externally. And then you have the head of government in one person, which is how we deal internally with everything. And so, you know, if your monarch is crazy, not only is it going to affect the government of the nation, it's going to affect how that nation interacts with the other yes. nations of your world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so when I started world building in my world, I, I essentially started with a nation because, you know, like we, we talk about and, and I've heard said on this show before, you start small. And yeah. small for me was starting with the nation. Like I'm, I'm not going to take my players this first time through all the way through my world. Like, it's just not going to work like that. I'm going to have them play in a nation. And once I've got that nation established and once I figured out it was a kingdom, then I was able to kind of construct the atmosphere in which my players would be playing. And that allowed me then to kind of bring in elements of, as I was building the other nations, how they were affecting trade and and all that. And so if if you're starting small, you know, some people start with a town. I went big. I started with the nation, and that's kind of how my world came to be as as a, as an entity. So now that we've kind of talked about absolute monarchy, which is what I would kind of relate England in the Middle Ages, if yeah. you want to think about that too. Now we now we're going to be talking about England in the modern era, yeah. which is a constitutional monarchy, which is essentially there's the king, which instead of acting as both the head of state and the head of government, is simply acting as a 
as the head of state, as a figurehead, working with a parliamentary system that either has a has a constitution, and a constitution can be written down or or just agreed upon mutually by parties or a blended system of, of the two. But either way, the, the power of the state, the power of government lies with the Senate or the constitutional branch of the government, whereas the figurehead of the nation, the head of state, is is the king. And the king doesn't really have power over at the least, law. At, at least, least not yeah. absolute Absol- power. Yeah, it absolute may, power. It may not be based off of like real world England and your world. Right. It may, the right. king or the queen may have certain powers but it's all has to be in line with this constitution yes, or absolutely. this this written document or this unwritten whatever it is whatever it is that sets those parameters that limitations yes they have power but no you can't do that uh, if you try to do that no 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 that is not what it is and i think one but one thing i think that is important to recognize here is that like obviously they're still seen as a monarch yes and absolutely. so there still needs to be Huge respect. I mean, let's like talking about real world like England today, like there is huge respect for who the queen is and who like there is a huge respect for that. Like she is a she is an icon. She is a definite respected figure among her people and among other nations. Yeah. And what she says carries weight. Very much so. And and like Mitch was saying, it's not necessarily that that the king doesn't have power, uh, but he has to operate within the checks and balances yeah. of the constitutional system. And so that allows a monarch who might be going crazy or a monarch who might not be leading the people in the way that they want to have that check. And so that absolute power now is is removed. Which thankfully there's a, there's a yeah. safeguard there. Yes. In that case, once that red shirt on a Tuesday passes, <laughs> yeah. Like well, it won't pass it won't because pass. Yeah. there will be someone there. There will be people. There there to go uh something's wrong with with our king with our queen like something something's going messy so thankfully we have we have a set of laws set up to take care of this well yeah and the the way that you can construct it in your world is very similar to the way that england does it today you have the house of lords and and in your world the house of lords could simply be the the gentry you know the the noblemen and so but today that now they're elected officials but you could still have that gentry idea that 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 lord the lords the council of lords as you will making the laws and that kind of thing in conjunction with the king the king still has the ultimate say you know you so you could still you could still have that and and not necessarily make it look like modern england where they you know have elected officials so let's talk about one that I think is really quite interesting, a federal monarchy. Uh, now, this is a monarchy where there is a federation of states or countries uh, in your world uh, with a single monarch. So there is a king and that king is the head of that entire federation, but retaining different monarchs, so different kings within those separate states or within those separate countries. So we have a head honcho. There is a king who is king overall, but then underneath him, divided up, there are all these other kings who rule over the different states or the different countries, whatever it is. They all have to answer this one king, but they are the lords, the kings of their own land. Yeah, and we were we were just talking about this off air. How is there an example of a country that, yeah. that has done that? And actually, there is. Google is a wonderful thing. Germany, under the, the different emperors that it had, actually had this system going on. So you had the German emperor, and then you had like the king of Bavaria, you had the king of, of Saxony, you had the king of, of Württemberg. You had all these different kings underneath the German emperor, and, and they ruled their own states, but things that affected the entire confederation would then 
also fall under his purview. Each king was allowed to rule their own area, but if they did something that the king, the German emperor, didn't like, he would come down on them hard. Yeah, or and, and had the yeah. power to take them off of their throne if yep. he wanted to he and have. replace them with somebody else. Like, yep. And so you have a lot of power as one of those kings, but you just got to make sure that, that that head honcho king, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> the absolute monarch is is pleased with you and that you're you're within line of what he wants. Which, again, allows for a lot of different variations on a theme. You have a good king of a country who's underneath the bad emperor. Yeah. And how do you balance those two things? The good king wants to do good. Yeah. How does that good king, that king who wants to provide for his people and not rule over him while he's got somebody ruling over him and the other kings, how does he really try to work the system how does he go about doing that? Like, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stories there. I could see that good king being hated by his people. Perhaps like on a f- surface level, he has to act like that, a jerky, terrible yep. overlord king. But perhaps he's there. There's these people, these almost Robin Hood like characters running around, stealing stuff, mm-hmm. giving it to the poor food, like money, whatever it is. And maybe that's a something that's sanctioned by this king yeah that he's you know maybe he has it's it's knights that are doing this but he has to do it under the oppression of a, yeah. a king another king who has power over him so he has to go behind that king's back well like, that, or, that would be or your... just jumping legal loopholes and just right. making sure that the things he does do on a surface level isn't something that's going to get him kicked off of his throne well and then that you know your players are the robin hoods yeah you know and, oh yeah and you've your got, players are yeah. knights for the king in a uh, in a country that's ruled over by an evil, evil king who rules over all these countries, but your king is a good guy and wants the, his people taken care of. Yeah. In fact, this is the model for the, the country that I had my players go through. I called it the Tamaran Empire. And each of the nine kingdoms was literally nine kingdoms underneath one emperor. Hmm. And in the story, they end up having to do just that. They have to depose the evil emperor on a, at the behest of an alliance of several of the good kings. And so it was definitely a very... We did a lot of things from like heroes of battle. So a lot of those big battle maps and things like that. And, and it it allowed them to write the history of a civil war in my world. And so that you can do a lot of, of things. And, and that's why this particular version of a monarchy is, is my f- personal favorite. I love the federal monarchy. It would definitely be very interesting for that fantasy world kind of setup of nations or a nation that's divided into states with, with many kings. But like even like going just back to that idea, I love that idea of just being a knight for a good king who is ruled over by an evil king. And maybe you're a knight that's been knighted by the king, but to be able to do the things that your king wants, the people of your land don't even know you're a knight. Yeah, you're he, a knight has to, he has secret. to disavow you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so how cool and difficult would that be at points, walking through a town and you know you're a knight to the king and you know that you're doing good, but nobody knows. And you're doing it under and you orders. you can't ever yeah. tell anybody. That seems like a really cool and idea then, for a character, and, yeah. for characters, for a campaign, uh, for a, you as a... DM to run. Well, and then you're walking through town and you've got wanted posters of yourself up. Yeah. Even though you're following orders, yep. you're, you're viewed as a criminal and, within your... And maybe your king has sat down and told you, like, you are you are my knight. Like, I, you know, these orders come from me. But if you take this job on, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe even as a king, he, he allows you to choose. But he says, you need to understand that if you're caught, I have no choice. Uh, yeah, exactly. You will you will have to be beheaded. So please don't get caught. Like, yeah, exactly. You could, <laughs> you could literally have this king be, like, one of your best friend's but there's always just this this hardness to it being knowing that if you get caught, man, 
for this king to continue to do good, yeah, he, he has, has to make a difficult decision. Well, he has to be a just king. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. that's a like that's a compelling character to me. A yes. king who wants to do good and has to make really hard choices mm-hmm. to be able to keep like and it's like he doesn't want to make those choices, but in the end he goes, I'm almost like this idea of like I'm losing my soul, but I'm doing it for the souls of my people. Right. Right. I love that. So the next sort of kingdom that we're going to be talking about is actually what's called an elective monarchy. And what it is, is, is basically the, there's, there's every four years or every seven years or every 10 years, however, however long you want to send the increment, there is an elected king or queen. Uh, and, and what they do is they hold the office and usually it's with some sort of blended, either absolute monarchy or constitutional monarchy kind of power. But they only hold the office for four years instead of it being passed down through a bloodline, like a hereditary absolute monarchy or, you know, those kind of things. And so, you know, once once their term of power is done, they step out of office, hopefully. And then you then you have an election cycle like you do in the United States. Again, it doesn't have to be every four years. It could be every three years. I mean, for it, you. Could, it could be any. It could be life. It could be and for then life. Once, yeah. once the, the king has died, another election is held. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure that they would have a a system set up in place that, well, for the time being, while this election is taking place, uh, we need somebody to step up. And so perhaps there is someone uh, that is someone, an ambassador to the king that steps up and, and takes that point as the king. Or like, like the steward of Gondor. Thor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like exactly. Boom. That was not Deke planned, lines, by the way. <laughs> boom. Together. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And maybe there's a story in there of how that person did not want to relinquish exactly. power. But yeah, like there would be a system in place for that kind of thing. Well, and then also there would be systems for checks and balances. Let's say a king is abusing his or her authority. Then there's the checks and balances. You could call a state of emergency, depose the king and you know vote in a new one. So however you want to do that. But an elective monarchy is really fun because you have now a whole bunch of other different storylines to open up for your characters. If you're playing a good campaign, you're charged with protecting the lead candidate or, you know, whatever. It, or if you're playing an evil campaign, you're rigging the election to put your guy in power. So there's a whole lot of different things that you could go in. Uh, you could even have like a lame duck king. The king is going out. If, if it's not for life, you know, and the lame duck king doesn't want to let go of power. So how do you... How do you manage that as a player? How do you manage that as a DM? And it, it can open up a lot of really interesting storylines. Well, I, I think... You know, with other monarchy setups, too, there can be this story. But I think with this type of monarchy, especially, I think of like getting a person elected um, and behind him is people who really will be in power and they're pushing for this man to be elected or this woman to be elected. And once this person is in, in the throne, the decisions he's making are all based off of this group that wanted right. him to get elected. So right. it's a puppet type of king that's uh, yeah. elected. And how much will that change a kingdom if that's that's the person that gets elected? So, you know, along with that, you have not just any Joe Schmo in an elective monarchy is going to be able to to run for office. It's going to have to be somebody who's from the lordship or from the gentry. Noble uh, blood. Right, noble has blood. Has to be noble blood. So, I mean, unless you really want to set up a kingdom that way where somebody and, who's a pauper yeah, really and has... Yeah, why not? Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's where your story comes from. 
from. Right. Uh, maybe one of the PCs decides and gets backed by something. Like maybe that's maybe there's a story in that for you and for your players. Like yeah. Well, and then you had just general, mentioned yeah, noble blood. <laughs> yeah, and you had just mentioned kind of off air about how you could have like a trial by fire for kings, which I think is kind of a cool take. You know, you you have the 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 nobility judging other nobility, whether it's in a jousting competition or something like that. Yeah. And you know, they're 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 proving their worth in various trials and they're being scored sort of like at an Olympic competition. And, and you know, that, that could also be some sort of an elective monarchy. Um, In my world, there is a, a huge forest, like this forest is big enough that there's a number of elven communities in this forest. And there is a huge kingdom at the center of this forest. Within this elven kingdom, there is a king, and this king is not selected through bloodline. This king, whenever a king dies, is selected through this type of trial system. Now, this trial is that this kingdom has a deck of many things, and so nobles or or anybody who wants to try to become a king has to come forward and draw a card from the deck of many things. And this goes until a person draws the crown card. Um, and thus they become the king. Now, if you know anything about a deck of many things, that means that if you're going to take this step, that you are risking far worse than death if you do not draw the crown card. Right, like, right. You might walk away from there like with better things that maybe like they're like, ah, oh, you're not the king, but well done. You will serve the king because you have drawn this deck of many things card that now you have this weapon of ultimate power right. but until that crown card or that throne card i can't remember whichever one it is is selected there is no king and so i mean it's i i love it because it's very much emphasizes the chaoticness of elves right. in my world um but yeah it's just this event that happens every hundred of hundreds of years because elves live to a ripe old age right. <laughs> uh whereas all these elves come forward and you see them like burst into flames or they just disappear because they've gone to like the ninth circle of hell because they've drawn like a skull card yeah, that's horrible. it's just like yeah you need to be brave to be able to try to want to be this king and uh and they believe that it's it's all by divine right like that the god celestian is making the right person choose that card so yeah, it's, as, it's as, a pretty crazy system as morgan would say that is nightmare fuel <laughs> <laughs> like the ninth exactly. circle of hell. Exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, that leaves it up to, to fate really. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, uh, the sort idea of, the of casting kind of lots thing, or, yeah, or casting yeah, lots. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that, that is definitely, that's cool. That's a cool idea. And I hadn't ever thought of that. So we've talked about monarchies in general. We've talked about di- these four different types of monarchies, these big four general types. Like we said, there are many more. So if you're interested, go and check them out. Look at all the other different types of monarchies. But now we'd like to talk a little bit about the monarch themselves. We've talked a little bit about the, the monarch, the king already. I mean, how can you not when you talk about this kind of thing? But let's really delve into the character of the monarch, because if you're building a world with a monarchy, you should know who the monarch is. So like we stated, like the the monarch in a lot of these systems is going to be seated on a throne until their death or until they renounce the throne. Um, And a lot of the times they're going to come from a system of a dynasty um, of a bloodline. And so like uh, at the beginning of the show, Ian, you were stating like, think of Europe's kingdoms like hundreds of years ago when it was this absolute monarchy kind of system. And one thing I think that is interesting and you could take is like just inspiration for your world is I love the idea of not only a monarch a king having the coming from a bloodline and coming from a dynasty but i mean how many kings were named george how many kings you know <laughs> right? like we, we see like george the 
the second, George, like all these Henry the Eighth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love that. Like, not only are you part of this dynasty, but you adopt the name of a predecessor, like another yeah. king who came before. And it's interesting when those kings kind of reflect the king that came before. And it's interesting then when the king is nothing like that king that came before. Right. Yeah. It, you know, and it's it's a fun way for you to to be creative without having to be creative. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, yeah, you, you know, you go all the way up. Everybody knows Henry VIII. Everybody knows Henry the Thirteenth, And those names kind of become synonymous with whoever they were attached to. Like when you say Henry the Henry VIII, everybody thinks the Tudors. Like that's just kind of the way that it goes. And like I said, if you're like me and you struggle to come up with names that are cool and unique, then the numbering system is is really your friend. And you can you can do a lot with the, the eighth or, you know, the greats, like you have Alexander the yes, Great, yes, or some like of those that. other titles earned, to, to yeah. distinguish them. Yes, yeah, earned names. So you've got like Richard the Lionhearted is another one that I that I always that I always jump to, and, and so you've got a lot of those different naming conventions where you can take a really common name in your world. Like my name in Gaelic means John. How many Johns are there? Well, you know, go go figure. But you you you're able to set them apart. So this is King John the Third, and he is responsible for this, and that's what everybody knows John the Third for. And I love that idea in a fantasy world. How much does that fit? Because I mean, let's let's be honest in fantasy worlds. The idea of giving titles, the idea of giving names to things is is something that is a trope, but it's I mean, I, it's a trope. I love yeah, <laughs> like, tropes are always I, I love yeah. to name my weapons. Like when mm-hmm. I ha- have a character, I don't just want to name my character. I want to name my weapon and I want that weapons name to tell a story. The right. same thing can be true for a king, uh, if like I think of the the numbering system, uh, you have let's talk about dwarves. We talking about elves. Duradain is like a a, dw- a good dwarf name. Yes. You have Duradain the first, the second, the third, the fourth. But beyond that, it can it can be Duradain the faux hammer and why is right. he called the faux hammer well you've got to if you say that to your pcs like if i was a pc i'd, I'd kind of want to know why is the title of faux hammer well he's the faux hammer because of course he will wields a giant war hammer into battle and like before he was king he was part of the bloodline but he was out there on the fields of battle an immense force against the foes of the dwarves whether that's the ogres or the orcs or the goblins and so he became the faux hammer because that is what is enemies call him yes and now the kingdom looks at that title and calls him that with just great praise when they think of duradain the fifth the faux hammer i love that idea for a fantasy world or you could do you could also take the tack that george R. R. martin did and like when rob broke off from the north and declared himself his own kingdom they called him the young wolf yeah. You know, and that's kind of yeah, but that's taking again from from the family's crest. That's another thing you could also take into consideration is what's what's the family's crest, like what's their symbol? And that can also tie into your naming conventions. You know, I had a I had a king in my world whose name is Darren Halfleg. And so, you know, that again, that kind of engenders that same question. Uh, immediately I'm thinking of a guy <laughs> who's lost part of his leg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then why is he missing part of his leg? And, you know, how is he still walking around? Like cuz you see him walking around, but he's got a half a leg. Like how does that work? And and you know, it's it's those earned earned names. Like my my friend Preston, and just to show you how this happens in the real world, uh, his last name is is Condrigram. and in the Marine Corps, his drill sergeant called him Alphabet Soup. 
<laughs> because I mean, how are you going to, he can't, he, you know, cause you call him by the last name in the military and, and the drill sergeant just didn't want to learn his last name. So th- those could also be some, some common ways that you could get names and things of that nature. And, and names really help define a character in terms of their, their overall story and, and, you know, those kind of things. And, and when you think about these things, you were talking about the crest and like the more detail you can give to somebody, mm-hmm. like really delve into it, the more of a fleshed out character they will be. If they're crest has a lion as the crest well if your pcs go to meet this king have him sitting be sitting on this big stone dais with a with a throne in the middle adorned with gold lion engravings and next to him are two lions that are like purring at his feet Mm -hmm. and when you approach they like snarl and growl have him instead of a crown be wearing like a big lion like cloak like there are all these different things that you can do like with just pull something out and go well that's a little detail for my character how do I embellish that and make this character seem more real and come to life for my players if he is called the lion hearted then he better be strong of heart when you meet him or if he's not like where did that that name come from right, and that right. makes it interesting <laughs> in that sense if he is just yeah. a timid little guy maybe that's something that his uh the people around him have put forth to try and make this timid little king like not mess up their whole entire country <laughs> right or he's a timid king who in the right circumstances ends up just turning into this lion-hearted <laughs> yeah, person exactly. you know and this is the second time you've mentioned thrones and i think that thrones can also be a huge part of the king's character and can have their own identity you you know, we think about like the Iron Throne yeah. from from A Song of Ice and Fire. You think about the the King under the mountain, and he's got his 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 mountain throne. Like you know, so these things definitely conjure up images, and so that's also important too, is to think you know what does the throne look yeah. like? Like for an elf, I think of a I think of a tree that's older than the oldest elf alive, and it's kind of curved into this seat like place for this elf to sit. Whoever is the king sits in this place. For a dwarf, of course it's going to have to have tons of precious gems built into and it. intricate yeah. stonework. Yeah, absolutely. They, all these details tell a story uh, yeah. and tell us more about the person sitting on this throne. I think something that's important too with a monarch is the responsibility of a monarch. And when I talk about responsibility, I'm thinking about like what the people see this king as. Now, especially in a case of absolute monarchy power, uh, but even in other cases, if there's good happening in the kingdom, if there's bad happening in the kingdom, if the kingdom is losing money rapidly and is in a depression state, if the kingdom is flourishing, like the people that are on the streets that your PCs talk to, really, when they talk about how the state of the kingdom is, there's one person who they're really going to throw the blame at, right. uh, whether it's good or bad. And I mean, that also goes to, back to, are they feared or respected as a monarch? Because yes, this guy on the street may totally blame the king for the evil going on in the kingdom. But if he fears this king, he's not going to tell you it. He, right. When you bring up the king, he's gonna he's gonna stutter and he's gonna be yeah 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 good <laughs> good king Duradane he is amazing yeah. <laughs> like the foe hanger hammer he is great he is great like respect fear good bad responsibility like all that really you don't even have to meet a king for that king to have for that monarch to have a personality no you don't and and you know let's not make the mistake of saying that 
that just because a king is evil doesn't mean his empire is not flourishing. Because often when I think of a despot, I think of like rundown streets, rundown, you know, buildings, things of that nature, people in poverty. That's not necessarily always going to be the case. You could have a really bad king in terms of morality who is through his immorality making a kingdom flourish and come alive and, and those kind of things. So that also goes into that how how is a king viewed? Yeah, sure, I might be able to put up with an evil king if I'm flourishing. Whereas I might not necessarily so much be able to put up with an evil king if I can't make ends meet or if I can't put bread on my table even, you know, then I'm going to definitely, the the sparks of insurrection are going to start to fly. So, you know, you can, you can abide a lot if your basic needs are being met. And so, uh, you know, it's, it, it would be interesting to encounter a, a morally corrupt king who is actually ruling well. And I mean, I love this idea because this also brings up a great point that even though the king's evil, yeah, some of his people are going to fear him and some of the people are going to secretly or outwardly hate him and the people who outwardly hate him are probably going to be beheaded. Yes. Uh, but there's going to be people who love him. If the king makes slavery something that's totally legal, totally acceptable in the land, who's going to love that king? The slavers. They're going to think he's the best person ever because they're he's the one who's allowing their pockets, their, their coin purses to be filled with gold on a regular basis. Yes. And he's the one that allows their economy to flourish. Mm-hmm. So they're like, depending on who you are in a kingdom, you're going to love or you're going to hate a king. And it can tell you a lot about the person who you're talking to and tell you about the king in general. Yeah. So one last thing we want to talk about. We've mentioned this whole idea of the throne, the crown, the scepter. Uh, it could be all of these things. It could be one of these things being yeah. the symbol of power. And when you have this, you have power in the kingdom. Yep. When you have taken the title of king, you have power. And so, I mean, we see it in Game of Thrones, like we've mentioned all the time. That's what the whole entire show is based off of. This quest for the throne, this desire to be king that so many people have. When you have a monarchy in a world, there's going to reach points in history or with certain people, with certain nations, that there's going to be a driving force that certain people are going to be looking to grasp that seat of power, to put on that crown, to hold that scepter in their hands, to become king. Uh, Like we talked about in a bloodline situation, well, how does that happen? Well, if the current king dies, well, the next person in line will be king. Now, what if you're not next person? Or what if there's a question as to who is the next person? Who is the next yeah. person? Yeah, like there, there's plots, there's betrayals there to set up. Yeah. There's, you know, the king's son goes to war and dies. It's a sad, sad day. A funeral is held. Well, what if your PCs find out that he died because his knights in that battle all backed off and left him and he yeah. got overtaken by the evil army of ogres coming after him? And those knights are actually loyal to the next person in line. Right. And this king has no idea because nobody's going to tell him. Like, there's plots and betrayals. One plot I've had happen in my world is uh, the king started acting evil and people were thinking he was crazy. It was actually a case of the king was kidnapped and there were doppelgangers taking over this kingdom. There's all different ways that a there's a quest for this crown. But there, there should be at some point, <laughs> if you have a monarchy set up, there should be somebody trying to throw over this current king and taking over. And there's a lot of good story arcs there. Yeah, and then, you know, in going with that, you have the nobility. If you have nobility, you're going to have somebody who got beat out by the throne by a degree of pedigree. I mean, like, by a small degree. And and I, I always go to history because there's just so much there that you can pull 
fulcrum for inspiration, like a Lord Buckingham situation. Lord Buckingham and Henry VIII, you had this feud between them because Lord Buckingham just barely missed the pedigree requirements to be king, and he thought he should have been. And so then you've got him plotting behind the scenes to to undercut the king's power, and you know, as as a player, you could either be playing for the king to try to stop this evil lord's uh, usurpation, or you could have you know, you be on the side of the usurper, like however you want to, however you want to run that. Well, that's all we have for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. We hope that you've enjoyed our discussion on monarchies and monarchs and that it's something that'll help you flesh out this particular government system in your world. Ian, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, if they'd like to reach out to us and write us about a monarchy that they've built in their world or just anything Dungeons and Dragons or anything at all, where can they reach us at? You guys can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. That's dungeonmaster with no S at gmail.com. So if you love our show and you want to support us, go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That really helps us get out there to be visible, to to get the word out about the Dungeon Masters block, and it also helps us to uh, attract new listeners. So if you do that, we're going to give you the, the special honor of being mentioned at the beginning of our shows, and we're going to read your review live on the air. With that, you can also find us on various podcasting apps like Stitcher and Google+. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are a great place to go if you want to have updates about the show or if you want to see D&D memes or just D&D goodness. It's all there all the time. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Ren Curry. Thank you so much, Ren Curry. Yeah, thanks. Ren is a gold dragon, so he is quite wise, and he is flying over the skies. He is able to join us on our DM workshops every month. Thanks, Ren Curry, for your support. We super appreciate it. So this podcast is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Feel free to check out our other shows at blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. These are shows like the GM Showcase, Story Arc, Geek Wars, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. So thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the eagle, ego, lowering, lowering the, the ego, <laughs> <laughs> lowering the ego of all other people at the table. This is DM Ian, and we'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. Keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.